Hello everyone, Jose Zayas here. Welcome to our home and snow apocalypse 2017. Uh, yeah, we can't gather in one place, but this is actually a good reminder that we are the church. We don't, we don't go to church. We go to a building on the weekends, sure, to gather as God's people, but you and I are uh, connected to each other and to Jesus Christ. So it's actually fun that we get to do a gathering all over the city. So I encourage you, if you haven't already done so, just pause it if you need to, brew your strong cup of coffee or tea, grab your Bible, and in a few moments we're gonna get into the scriptures. But uh, to prepare ourselves, a couple of things we want to pray for. Uh, Michael Van Gordon, dear friend uh, and a part of our church, uh, just last week found out he has colon cancer, had the first of what will be probably many surgeries, start attacking that. We wanna pray God's healing, God's grace, over his life and the family that they would experience uh, God's presence. As well, some of you saw through social media that just on Friday, uh, Sean Hayworth out just going to run out on the highway. Uh, he was in his car and had a head-on collision as he was preparing to drive out to a remote place to run. And uh, again, by God's grace, was life-flighted uh, out and went to OHSU. He's still there now and uh, he broke his pelvis, he's got all sorts of cuts, but he is in one piece. Thank God for his grace and his mercy. Thank God for his angels who are sending his ministering spirits to those who will inherit eternal life. We thank God that Michael is alive. We thank God that Sean is alive, and we wanna pray God's presence all over uh, their world today. All right, uh, those are things I want you to pray for this week. Now, as we get ready to get into the scriptures, grab your Bible, go to Romans chapter 3, and my daughter Allie is going to read for us. So Allie, why don't you come and let's look at God's Word together. Romans 3, verse 9 through 20. We shall, what, we, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantages? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. Their the poison of vipers on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruins and mystery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and that the whole world held accountable to, accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the words of the law. Rather, through the law, we become cautious of our sins. Well done, Allie. And I don't know if you noticed by now, but our little Daisy, our dog's just hanging out in our living room gathering fireplace, scriptures, and even the dog, we are blessed. All right, let's get ourselves thinking because he says, what will we conclude then? 
Uh, a little bit of trivia to start our day because you're stuck at home, you may be watching a little television. What is the longest running primetime uh, television show in America? Before you go to Wikipedia, let me tell you, it's The Simpsons. Not what you thought. Yeah, in all of US history, there's no longer running show than The Simpsons. I'll let you think about after this is over what that says about our culture. But if you look at the list, the top seven have three that have almost identical themes. They are about like mystery and suspense and conclusion. You have Law and Order and Law and Order SVU, an offshoot, and then Crime Scene Investigation, CSI. Three out of the top seven running TV shows are focused on some sort of story. A story that's got a bump in the road or a murder or trouble and followed by the evidence and most of the TV show is about unpacking and unfolding what really happened and what's going to happen next and then in the end you get some sort of conclusion or courtroom or justice and in one sense we're in Romans and if you read all of Romans and I encourage you to do it it doesn't take long and I do it every single week sometimes in a different translation just sit there and read through Romans 1 through 16 in one setting. It's so helpful when you see the big picture, especially when we look at one section like we're going to do today. Romans often reads like a court proceeding, like a court transcript. He's got a lot of what if and then and conclusions. And so where we find ourselves today is looking at a huge point when it comes to the good news. But leading up to it, let's just backtrack. Some of you are watching for the first time. Where are we uh, so far? So far, we have seen, Paul has said, in Jesus, there is good news for everyone. Just think about it. Romans 1, um, 1 through 16 says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings the salvation, salvation to everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For, in the good news, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, why is this important? Well, what's the big deal of the unfolding or the revealing of the good news? Well, the second thing, again, Paul is making a case all throughout Romans, but especially in the first half. Good news is for everyone, but something else is revealed. Look at verses 18 and following. The wrath of God. Just look, Romans 1, 18. The wrath of God is being revealed or shown from heaven or God's place against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. So again, the court scene, the, the drama, God has good news for everybody, but he also in showing the good news is revealing that wickedness is being exposed as well. So we saw so far Romans 1, 18, all the way through chapter three, is making one huge point. God is always right. He's always in the right. He never does wrong. He never does evil. And we're not. Sometimes we're for what's right. Sometimes we're on God's side. But sometimes, frankly, we're more interested in what we want than what God wants. So the drama without the TV commercial breaks. God has good, but he exposes evil. And sometimes we're on the side of evil. So let's now jump down to chapter three, verse nine, and, and he's gonna to come to the conclusion at the end, verse 20, make a massive point that we'll pick up on next week. What shall we conclude then? 
Uh, do we have an advantage, we being Jews, because he's Jewish by background and heritage and training. Remember, Paul, before encountering Jesus, is a Jewish teacher, a rabbi. What do we conclude? Is being Jewish advantageous? Not at all. For we've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. Now, what Paul's going to do, especially in chapter 3, is use law court language. Now today, law, uh, law proceedings happen in big buildings and courtrooms, and most of us, unless we're watching TV or a drama, you don't know what's going on. But in the first century, we're talking about small towns, small villages, and any law proceeding or any uh, trial often happened in public. So people understood the lingo and cases were in full view. So everyone knew when someone was being tried for something that they had done wrong. So like a lawyer, Paul's going to make his final arguments. Now, what we see in this passage are three things. And if you're a note taker, feel free to write them down or watch this three times over. Three huge points that he's going to make as kind of the conclusion of his case that God is always in the right and we are not. All of Romans 1, 18, all the way through 3, chapter 20 is going to be made, the point's going to be made in this passage. First thing we want to see is we're all under the power of sin. Let me say it again. We're all under the power of sin. Remember, the church in Rome is made up of Jews and non-Jews, and it's mixed. So Jews by background, kind of reminding us of what we talked about in the last two weeks, of course, they admitted that they sinned. No Jew would ever say that I've always done what's right. But they believed that they were in the right, the righteousness of God. It's about God's right character. It's about the right things God has done. And it's about how God brings us into his space. So the Jews felt that because God had called Abram, later called Abraham, into a special relationship, even though, yes, they sinned and they failed, when it comes to being close to God, being in the right with God, because they were part of God's called people, God's chosen people, of course they're in the right. And Paul makes the massive point, we are all, Jew and non-Jew, under the power of sin. So verses 9 to 10 make a massive point. Do we have an advantage? No. So no matter what your background, and think, forget about first centuries, think about our life. No matter what your background, whether you're new to following Jesus, thinking about following Jesus, or you're a grandparent, and you have this long line of people who are church going and Bible reading and praying and devout, none of those external things, they are good. Man, it's better to have a heritage that, that is marked by Jesus by far. But those do not mean that you are in the right when it comes to walking in the rhythm of God and living out the vision of God. Those aren't an advantage. Instead, everyone is under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, no, not one. Okay, a couple of things here. Those two phrases, under the power of sin and no one righteous, in a sense are saying the same thing. Unrighteous speaks about our position, like where do we stand? We're not in the right standing with God because of our sinfulness. Okay, think of a courtroom for a second, uh, whether it's Law and Order or whatever show you've watched. There are two sides to the courtroom. 
there's the prosecutor who's bringing the case and there's the defense and they are not at the same, ta same table, <laughs> they're not on the same side, and they're not for the same cause. And in one sense, to say that one is unrighteous means, if I'm thinking about like our court, if God walks in and he comes up to one desk, I'm not on his side. My position uh, by default, like by choice, is I'm on the other side of the courtroom and I'm not with him. So this isn't just about God though. Uh, unrighteous is about all relationships. So, so to say that someone's not in the right with God is by implication to say that we're not in the right with one another. So all sorts of things happen when we get out of sync with God. Think about human relationships right now. Just think about the headlines. Another shooting at an airport in, uh, in Florida. Uh, think about the wars and the, just the, the massive challenge in Syria alone with refugees being scattered all over the world. And just think about family breakdowns and the tension that you might be, ex be experiencing in your own living room. Uh, just think about it at school and at work. There's, there's all sorts of things that aren't right. We were made to be in sync with one another. We were made to build each other up. We were made to act as a family, as a body, to be coordinated, to work with God, to take his human project forward. But sin has made us unrighteous at every level. So we're not even on each other's side, and we're definitely not on God's side. Now, the other phrase under sin is more of a precise, it's, this is law court language in the first century. It's more of a legal term. That is when the case is being brought about where you stand, you and I, we belong to someone. If we're disconnected from God, God is the one who, who creates us. But if we're not connected to him, we are not neutral. We're connected to someone. So Paul makes the legal case. We are under the power of sin. Now, what, what does that mean? Let's just look ahead for a second, okay? We're going to get to it in a few weeks. But to say that someone is under sin means that if there's life in God and then there's life outside of God, which is under the power of sin, what happens? Let's look, turn in your Bible, Romans 6, uh, chapter uh, 6, verse 15 to 18. It says, What then shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. He says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But, verse 17, thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance and catch this phrase verse 18 you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness in other words you belong to one family you belong to the family of grace you belong to the family of god you belong to the family of life or you're a slave to sin you're you're headed for destruction you're cut off from the source right and so I just want you to see that his conclusion, and I'm going to move on to some like better news next week, because he talks about, now he's talking about the, the downside of life apart from God, and next week we look at the upside of life in Jesus. But he says, you're, you're belonging to one family, the family of God or the family of sin, and 
The good news, Romans 6, is going to be that you can be pulled out of the family of death or the family of sin or the family uh, that leads towards ruin and you can enter in to life. And by the way, that is the good news that's for everyone. Now, back to, uh, to thinking through Romans in the big picture. Romans 4 is going to give us the example of Abraham. And then Romans 5 is going to give us the example of Adam. So if this seems like a little like, I don't get it, just hang in there. In the next few weeks, will will give us some like real meat examples. But let's jump to the one on Adam because we're talking about like, what does it mean to be a part of a family? Romans 5, 19. We'll tease this out in detail in a few weeks. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, which is Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. One man, and everyone after him, Adam, leads to life outside of God. But the life of one man, Jesus, is going to lead many, those who have faith in him, to experience life and the way God intended your world to be run. That is the good news. So God is always in the right. We are not, but the implication now is we are under the power of sin. We're cut off from the life of God and we're unrighteous. That is, we're not, we're not in rhythm with him and we're not in rhythm with one another. Now, we kind of know this. Like something within us tells us yeah, things could be better. But let's just think for a second about what it means to be under sin. To be under sin doesn't mean there isn't any good. That sounds so dark and negative. I know lots of people who aren't in relationship with Jesus, don't care about the life of God, don't go to church, don't read scripture, but are fantastic in their love and concern for other people. So if you are a Jesus follower, to say that you know, you're either in the family of God or under sin, doesn't give us the right to point the finger because just because you receive Jesus doesn't mean you can't do very good and righteous things. And it also doesn't mean that even though those who are outside of Jesus Christ are understood, it doesn't mean that there isn't a spectrum in that all sin is, of course, it's an offense to God and it ruins our own world, but it doesn't have the same effect. Some are more prone to evil behavior. Some are more vicious in the way they act towards others. So everyone is under sin, yes, but we need to be careful before, we should be careful before we point the finger at anybody anyway. But that blanket statement, unrighteous and under sin, doesn't mean there is no good. We still have the mark of God. We're still, we still bear the image of God. Yet it's not enough. In a court of law, because he's using law court language, when evidence is presented before the judge, if we're looking to our own rightness, we're going to fall short. If we're looking to say, like the Jews would hint, that well, we're under God's privilege, God called Abraham and us, he said he made an agreement that's going to last forever, so we're included, watch out. If you're holding on to anything other than faith in the good work of Jesus that was done for you and me. And so we're all into sin and we're all unrighteous. Why is this so important? Because Paul, who's trained like a, a, a Jewish rabbi, takes the whole idea of under sin, and then he does what's called a string of pearls. Jewish rabbis 
would take a bunch of Old Testament quotations and slam them together, kind of like a pearl necklace. You take these gems that don't natu naturally come from the same place, but you put them on the same string to make a huge point. Well, Paul does this. He looks at the Psalms, various Psalms, and the, the prophecies of Isaiah, and he pulls together seven dimensions or seven ways that we need to think about what it means to be under sin. So first thing, we're all, um, we're all, we're all under the power of sin. Everybody is, no one's excluded from that. But the second thing, and write this down, is we're all affected by sin. Every one of us is affected by it. Not just by our own junk, but we're affected by the activity and the attitude and lifestyle of everyone around us. We're in this together. And so sin isn't just personal, sin is also corporate, don't think business. It's also community. What you do is gonna impact my life in some way. And you just see that on a national scale and international scale today, the activity of a few crazy people can destroy the lifestyle of millions. Now, the opposite side could be said, the good, your good in Jesus, your actions and faith motivated by a heart of love for Jesus can do good for millions. You have Adam, which leads to death, but the work of Jesus and his people that lead to life. All right, seven real quick. I'm going to do them kind of rapid fire. Seven dimensions that we see here in verses 10 through 18 that that highlight what it means to be under sin. And by the way, if you're doing the reading with some of the resources, the resource by Tim Keller on Romans 1 through 7, fantastic. I basically borrowed his outline because it's just so solid and clear. All right, first thing, our legal status. There's no one righteous, no, not one. Well, we already talked about that, so no need to go in detail. Second thing, what does it mean to be under sin? Our minds. That is, there is no one who understands. Doesn't mean we're completely ignorant. It just means the wisdom of God, the truth of God. We only know it in part. And by the way, uh, whenever you try to put something together, I'm an IKEA furniture person. If you if you look at half the steps in the little IKEA, uh, supposed to be easy, supposed to be little um, guideline on how to put together instruction sheet. If you only like listen to half the instructions and try to put the rest together yourself, it might not work. Actually, well, um, that's my personal experience. So our, our mind has been affected in that, yes, we know, but we don't know all that God has and we don't know all of God's ways. Uh, third thing, our motives. There is no one who seeks God. Now, Paul's not implying that people aren't searching. Of course, people all over the world, there's all sorts of religious and uh, philosophical approaches to try to find something higher. But no one purely seeks God. And, and the way we know this is Jesus. Jesus tests the motives more than anything. You think of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, in talking about uh, adultery, someone would say, man, the action is wrong. Jesus says, of course the action's wrong. But it's just as evil if you look with lust at someone of the opposite sex or someone you're not married to, and you lust for them, it's as if you did it. 
Jesus says that God's teaching, God's Torah, God's law, is not just about action, it's about motive. And he says the same thing, by the way, about forgiveness and receiving grace yourself and having your own prayers answers. He says the same thing about giving money. Everything is not just action-oriented in God's kingdom. It's, it's heart-oriented. It's motivation. And so Paul says to be under sin means to be your motives have been tweaked. And I'm guilty. And I'm sure you can relate to sometimes doing the right thing, but your heart is way off. Like, but I better do it anyway because... Otherwise, I know it's right and God's going to get mad. Well, in God's sight, he's looking more at the motive of the heart than the activity. Again, it's good to do good. But apart from Jesus, our, our motives are tweaked. Our wills, number four, he says, all have turned away. Instead of obeying God's ways, we've decided to do our own thing. And again, maybe that's not all the time. But if you're in a court, you, you don't have to steal a thousand times to be found guilty just once you don't have to lie ten thousand times to be found guilty just one you, you you make a wrong statement in court about someone else you could be brought in tried yourself for one statement that was wrong if that's uncovered now you're found guilty and the same thing when it comes to God number five our speech he says, their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips and their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. The Bible is very clear all over the place that what is here comes out here, whether it's Proverbs or James or the teachings of Jesus. Out of the overflow of what's going on within your own soul, your mouth is going to speak. So. It's no wonder, rabbit trail, I was, uh, I ran for the first time in a long time after having knee surgery the other day and just did it at the high school down the road because the doctor said start on a track to keep soft surface. And it was a day off from school on, on Monday. And so I thought there'd be no one there. Well, there were six or seven students just hanging out by the track, you know, goofing off, having fun. And as I'm doing my laps around, I could just hear what was coming out of their mouth. Um, not only just the vulgar part of it, like speech just like childish, but the stuff that they were saying to one another, even if it was quasi-joking, it just goes to show that what's going on inside, you can't hide it forever. And so I just do my little lap, praying for these uh, young students, thinking about them like, man, God, do a work in their heart. Number six, our relationships. It says, their feet are swift to shed blood and they ru ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. You know, we live for ourselves instead of for God, instead of living for other people, instead of me living for you, I live for me. And whenever that happens, when pride rises up, when selfishness takes over, when I, when I don't have my eyes open to what's going on in your world and I'm just me and my family focused, it hurts. We know it. But now all of these things, those, these are just byproducts of us living under the influence of sin. And finally, number seven, our relationship to God. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We choose 
to live as if God didn't exist. Now some like overtly say that, uh, that's probably more the minority. I think more of the people in the world would, would agree that there has to be something higher. But in practicality, we often live as if God were not here. If he's in the universe, he's in another solar system, but he's not in my living room. He's not in my home, he's not watching. He's not concerned about this decision. And so all of these things, just stacking the deck, these string of pearls of wisdom, and Paul pulls them from all over scripture. Side note, that's why we read the entire Bible. All scripture is breathed out, has the life of God, and is profitable to you for teaching, for correcting, for, for training your life to live in the way that is right. And so, um, off topic for a second, but since we're here, it's, it's only early January, and if you've not put your mind to reading the scriptures day by day, whether it's just a few verses or a few chapters, the amount is not the point. It's daily intake, daily rhythm of you and God's presence, reading a little bit and then pausing, seeing if God has anything to say to you, not just reading and saying done, but when I read, I'm asking God, this is true. It was written to someone else, but it applies to me. God, what do you have for me? Already, we're only in the first week of January, but I've started a little, I use Evernote and Echo prayer app, and but in, in on my phone, I just keep track. It's better, easier for me than paper and pen. I just keep track of what God is, is, is impressing on my own soul. And there's already multiple things. And we're only in week one. And God is not uh, more vocal to those who produce video podcasts. And he's not more vocal to those who are in quote unquote uh, professional ministry. We are all in the ministry. We're all a part of God's family. And to be in the ministry means to represent him, to be in partnership with him. And every follower of Jesus, you, if you're following Jesus, you are in God's work. And you're on God's team and you're in God's family. So God wants to speak to you even now and speak to you day by day. Friend, immerse your life. You used to be, by the way, Romans is written to followers of Jesus. So when he's writing, he's writing to those who used to be under sin, used to be unrighteous. As we read in the next few weeks, those truths are no longer true of the follower of Jesus. Now, followers of Jesus are not under the power of sin and are made right. They know the character of God, they see the work of God, and the work of God has been applied to them, and they are now able to, courtroom scene, shift over from the defense and over to the side of the one who's laying the case of our lives. So, uh, man, this is, this is such good news. All right. So that, the first two things, we're all under the power of sin. Secondly, we're all affected by it. Everyone is. Third thing I want you to, to think about, and which is Paul's case here and is laying out, is we're all accountable to God. Just look at verse 19, Romans 3, 19, and we're almost done. Now we know that whatever the law says, again, law is not rules. Whatever the scriptures say, the law 
is all that God has spoken. God's teaching, God's words, God's, God's commands are included, but not the only thing. We know that whatever the scriptures say, it says to those who that are under the power of the scriptures, and you can interchange it for law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Because God's made himself known, Paul's been saying, for three chapters. God's revealed himself both in creation and in what God has actually said. He spoke his words to his people, and now all of creation has access to what God is thinking and feeling and what God's vision is and what he's doing in the world. And so because God hasn't hidden himself, you're going to have you're going to be held accountable. Therefore, key verse, verse 20, therefore no one will be declared righteous. Declared righteous. Another similar word that you're going to see here in Romans is justified, but I'm going to hold that for another day. I'm going to do a whole teaching on what it means to be declared righteous uh, later in the series. In God's sight, by the works of the law, the by doing what is said in Scripture, rather, through the law, we become con- uh, conscious of our sin. So we're not going to be made right before God by knowing what he said and doing what he said, although that's helpful. The reason we're not going to be made right is because no one's actually done what he said in the heart. Even those who are good law-abiding people are, are skewed, to say the least, in our motives. And so we're all in the same place and we're all held accountable to God. Now, why is he making this point? I'm going to remind you, some of this doesn't seem as weighty to us, but the Jews in the first century saw themselves as God's special people and that spilled over into the church because the Jewish people felt like they were in covenant relationship with God that even though they sinned, God was going to extend special grace to his people because they belonged to Abraham. And Paul makes the point, Jew, non-Jew, church going, Bible reading, new to faith, uh, good person or someone who says, man, I'm a mess, I'm a mess. We're all in the same place. So the law can't save us. What's the law for? What's the point? The point is God wants us to know his heart so we can follow his heart. Now, unfortunately, this is like a hugely unpopular message in 2017. We, you and I, we live in a feel good about yourself culture. So what we've read so far, especially these last few weeks, Romans 2 and 3, no one's right, no one does good, no one's seeking God, doesn't mean there isn't goodness in us. It just means we choose to overlook the dark spots. I think when I assess my own life, I am, I'm probably more, uh, cup is half full than I should be. I'm actually, you know, optimistic and cup is half full. But when I evaluate my own world, I'm very easy to overlook my own shortcomings I'm very easy and prone to point out your shortcomings. And I think that's just most of American culture, most of the culture in the world today. But I feel like I'm okay compared to other people. Paul, like in law court here, in the church, he's saying, if we were to bring up a case of anyone's life, no one's going to stack up. We, we compare ourselves with ourselves, and that gets us into trouble because we don't see a need for God. And it's why sharing Jesus is so hard at times. Like, how am I gonna, how am I gonna share Jesus, right? How are you gonna share Jesus with someone when you go to work, eventually when the ice melts, 
when you go to work or you go to school or you go out there and say, man, like you need Jesus, which according to what God has revealed about himself is true. But people don't feel that because they haven't evaluated their life according to God's perspective. And so we need to sometimes help and start the good news by helping people to see, not in a judgmental way, but you know, things may not be as good as they seem. And yeah, like, okay, you got a car and you got a boat and you got a good vacations and according to social media, you have like a wonderful life. But is there an area or two where you feel like you're just not breaking through? Are there areas of life where you're like, man, were you, were you, willing, were you and I are willing to admit we're not what we should be until someone recognizes their need for God. Jesus, frankly, doesn't make sense. So Romans 1, 16, 17, there's good news for everyone is followed up by, oh, by the way, the good news is good because our situation is dire and desperate. And when you and I share the gospel in the culture that we live in, sometimes if people are not receptive to the thought about living you know, under Jesus's leadership, maybe we could begin by praying and helping. What are the points in their life where I can help them to see? Again, lovingly, like humbly, but help them to see that we're not as connected to our Creator as we think we are. That's why I find, personally, sharing Jesus, and, and, and by the way, historically around the world, the good news has spread the fastest in places that are poor, in places that are in transition, uh, a new government change, uh, tragedies, uh, radical, like upright, where there's like, where the ground has been shifted and among the poor faster than anywhere else in the world in all of church history. And the reason is very simple. When I recognize that life is short, uh, when I don't have enough, when I have a desperate need, I am open to pursue God. And when someone's open to pursue God, Jesus will begin to reveal himself. That's why Jesus said, it is very hard for the rich, the affluent, the have-it-alls to enter the kingdom of God. It's not because God doesn't want them. It's because God came in the person of Jesus and saw as a human what it is like when people have too much. It's possible to have so much that you don't look for God. The bad news is going to set us up for the hope of the good news, which again, read the rest of Romans 3, Romans 3, 20 and 21 and following is going to be on the positive side of what Jesus has done and how to live it. All right, so that's Romans 3, 9 through 20. Even though we're not together, I don't want you to check out in these final few moments and as you get ready for the rest of your day, before you move on, before you shut things off, and before you go back to fun and, and family life, I want you to think about your life as being on display. The law court imagery, rather than just being theoretical, uh, you and I, our life, our lives are on display before God. And by the way, God has already examined the mind and the heart and, and, and the record of my life. And I'm already far like by default, because Adam and everyone after him has ignored God, and by intent. Not, not just because I'm like human, I'm messed up. I have chosen to walk away from God. So the verdict on all counts so far is 
is guilty. So where do we begin? Jesus, Father, I'm talking to you. Where do you begin? Well, for one, read the rest of Romans 3. In Christ, you are no longer the unrighteous and no longer living under the power of sin. You've been set free by Jesus. So you can live in the right and you can honor God and you can follow his ways and you can grow and you can overcome. You can not just because of human effort, but because Jesus is now living in you by the Holy Spirit. And you know the words of God and you know the heart of God. And you even know Romans 7 into Romans 8, there are powers warring against us, wanting to keep us from overcoming. In Jesus, you're going to find victory. But a, a couple of things to think about when you evaluate this last week and where you're headed be honest. Paul in Romans 1, 2, and 3 uncovers and unpacks like all of human frailty and all of our rebellion with the goal of not being a downer. But sometimes we just, we just glib. We just look over our shortcomings. This year, let's be honest about where we really are in our following of Jesus. Be open. Be open. Be open to the Spirit of God speaking to you. Be open to God pointing the finger at areas of weakness, not to condemn. Let me tell you, friend, when, when you leave the end of the day, when you leave your prayer time, when you leave scripture, when you leave a gathering with a group of people feeling terrible about yourself, that is not the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, the enemy wants to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to bring judgment. He wants to accuse. But when you leave being confronted by scripture and by others, realizing, man, I, I didn't realize that, oh man, I, I hadn't confessed it. Or man, like, I got to deal with that. And, and I can. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings conviction with the goal of repentance. He brings awareness. He flashes it on the screen of our, of our mind and our heart so that his healing power and his transforming presence can come and change things. And finally, just be grateful. Bring back to circle you know, we have people in our community, and maybe you're one of them, that's really in a difficult circumstance, whether it's Michael and an illness that was not even like, in, not even thinking about it, or a sudden thing like Sean and an accident. God's grace is there. Be grateful for the grace that you've received. Be grateful for the presence that's been there, whether you were aware of it or not. Be grateful for all that God has done and is doing in Jesus. And today, choose choose you and i have a will we can go a direction choose jesus choose his presence as you begin to become aware of what he said choose to follow him and even in the hard things choose when you make a mistake and you will and i will when you fall down choose to get up and walk in the grace of god well let's pray and then i'll allow you some time to encounter God right where you're at. Lord, thank you that we're gathered in your name, even by video, and your presence is real. And Holy Spirit, thank you for even as I've been talking, bringing things to mind in my own soul that, that need your, your change, your power. Lord, I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters. I pray for those who are actually seeking you right now. I pray that the very questions that we have will be answered, the very struggles we're facing, will find resolve in you 
and the powerlessness that is so, so sometimes so heavy. I just feel like I don't have the power to do anything. God, that your, your realness will be sensed. Your power will be on display and healing will come and forgiveness will come and life will come. We pray that in your name. Amen. Make sure to check out the weekly for the things that are upcoming in our community that you need to know about. I love you. And I can't wait to be together live real soon.